Welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Often, when I think about productivity, I envision something like a well-oiled machine. Everything fits together. Everything has its place. And when it's running smoothly, it produces amazing results. But my imagination also usually ignores a few of the important words there, like well-oiled machine. What does it mean to be well-oiled? Well, for one thing, it means that there's someone maintaining the system. It means that left to its own devices, that that machine would break down. And for a machine like this, it means it's either running at peak capacity or not at all. As you can imagine, this isn't exactly the route we want to be going. We're going to have setbacks in life, and we're going to have times when we have to do less. We're not machines. In today's episode, we're going to be exploring this idea of capacity, as well as how sometimes we go above and beyond, and then also how we can work on building some slack into our systems. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash building slack. All right, keep on listening to find out how you too can be a slacker. The first thing to understand is that when you find yourself not able to get everything done that you want to, it usually isn't that you are a slacker and that you need to buckle down. What's really going on is that you're trying to do too much. And I know what you're thinking, but I could do more. This is true. You could do more. There are very few situations in life where we couldn't do more. But doing more usually isn't the answer. Doing more can actually be pretty harmful sometimes. For example, imagine you're getting a tan. So you head outside to lay in the sun and get those UV rays to damage your skin and produce all that melanin. You know, tanning. Okay, I don't really care about the reason you want to tan. This is a hypothetical after all. But how long should we be out there tanning? Well, if your skin starts reacting after about 20 minutes of sun exposure, maybe it's time to go back inside. But maybe you decide you can do more. And so you keep laying there, keep being bombarded by that UV light, and you keep deciding that you can tan more. Well, eventually, your skin is going to get so damaged that you get a sunburn. And now where are you? With a sunburn, you can't keep tanning. By doing more, you've actually set yourself back. And so maybe you're saying, well, my work isn't like tanning. If I do too much work, I'm not going to get a work burn. Or, oh, I guess there's that whole idea of burnout. I guess we can get a work burn. Okay, so hopefully we're on the same page here. We don't want to get a work burn. And we can get that from doing too much. If you're finding that you're not completing enough, it's usually not because you need to add more stuff on. Sure, you might be able to fit more in, but what capacity are you running at right now? If you're at, say, 40 or 50%, maybe you want to add some more in. But if you're at 80%, then you're already running at a pretty high capacity. And why not run at 100%? Let's think back to that machine example in the beginning. We can't run at 100% all the time. Sure, there are times when we're running on overdrive to finish something, like we're on deadline and we're putting in those extra hours, but how long can we keep up that extra effort? And even after that, we're going to need time to recover, more than we usually would. So a good range to aim for is about 60-80% to capacity. If we're running at higher capacity, then we're risking burnout. But not only that, we're not going to be able to handle the new stuff when it comes at us. 
Because if I'm at 90% and suddenly I also have to deal with a parking ticket, well, that's a quick way for me to spiral out of control. And a great way to think about this is how many firefighters does your town need? Now, first off, let me say I have almost no understanding of what it takes to be a firefighter. And right now, I am especially appreciative of firefighters for making sure that my town didn't burn down. So with that said, let's imagine a typical fire in your town needs four firefighters to put it out. And your town has about one fire a month. Well, do you need just four firefighters? Okay, well, let's say we want to make sure they have a rotation. So we have six firefighters. So two can be off and four can be on. But then, what happens if there are two fires or three fires? Or a particularly big fire that requires more than four or six firefighters? And the idea here is that we don't want to find ourselves with four firefighters when we have three fires. And this is the same idea for us. We tend to view ourselves as firefighters, putting out one fire after another throughout the day. If we don't allow ourselves the capacity to react when a new fire happens, then we're going to get overwhelmed. And so I imagine a lot of us are now asking, how do I measure my capacity? Well, this is one of those cases where we aren't going to have any real solid numbers. There's no formula we can plug into to figure out what we're capable of, and that's okay. But it does mean it's something that we're going to have to work on learning to identify within ourselves. We can think about this through the lens of mindfulness. How often are we checking in with ourselves? And with those check-ins, are we acknowledging when we're starting to have problems? How are we able to keep up with the work we're doing now? How well would we be able to add something onto what we're already doing? And how well would we cope if we had to drop something? And another great way to look at the capacity and the slack in the system is by thinking about what extra time might be able to give you. I'm going to use writing for this example. So when I'm writing these episodes, they come out to about two to 3,000 words. But let's imagine that if instead of the two to 3,000 words, I had a goal of writing 5,000 words every week, I'd be in a tight spot to get that many words out every week, and I'd have to focus much more on just producing content than the quality of it. Given that I have about the same amount of time every week for writing, When I'm doing shorter pieces, I can spend more time making sure that what I'm writing is of higher quality. And on top of that, I get to enjoy what I'm writing more. So sometimes capacity is about letting you spend more time on one thing so that you can do a better job with it. And when you're not in crunch time, you also tend to enjoy what you're doing more. While we want to make sure that we're not trying to run at 100% all of the time, we still do have the ability to go beyond our usual capabilities. And this is called surge capacity and is something that a lot of people with ADHD find they thrive with. Many people with ADHD report that they find their brains are able to shine in times of crisis. While other people might shut down, ADHDers find that they can coordinate everything going on around them. I know in one of my previous jobs where I was doing large events as an operations manager for that professional Frisbee team, I was able to organize and coordinate everyone and seem to be in several places at once. While I may have struggles answering emails in a timely fashion, when I needed my brain to be on, I could hyper-focus on the bigger picture and adapt to all the new challenges that cropped up at those events. And this is a huge piece of how ADHD lets us thrive in a crisis. We can hyper-focus on what needs to get done and yet still be able to adapt to the changing circumstances. In a lot of ways, it's very similar to our ability to complete tasks when we're up against a deadline. But here's the thing about hyperfocus. It comes with a cost. While some people view hyperfocus as a superpower, and it can help us complete projects faster than anyone would imagine, it also drains our executive functions. Executive functions are what help us with things like time management, paying attention, remembering details, and impulse control. 
we can think of our executive functions kind of like our brain's management system. And as we go through our day, we use up our reserve of those executive functions. Now, this reserve isn't as finite capacity. We can get more or less of it throughout the day. For example, imagine waking up after a terrible night's sleep. You're bleary and tired, and you're faced with deciding what to have for breakfast. That bad night's sleep didn't do a good job of restoring your executive functions, and so you're more likely to choose something easy, and maybe not quite as healthy. But then as you wake up and you're less groggy, you'll find that you have more executive functions for your day. Your brain's management system is starting to run a little bit more smoothly. But as we go through our day and we do dip into those executive functions more and more, we'll find it harder and harder to deal with things like making choices. And that is often referred to as decision fatigue. The more decisions you make throughout the day, the harder it is to make a decision later in the day. This is one of the reasons that it's much easier to decide what to have for breakfast than deciding what to have for dinner. Our executive functions aren't just limited to making decisions. They can also be things like sitting through a school day. I know after a full day of school, when I pick up my kids, I find that they are at their craziest. They want to run and jump and just generally cause havoc. This is because they spent all day using their executive functions listening to teachers, and now they're drained. Not of energy, but of executive functions, and now their impulse control is right out the window. More practically for us, how about at the end of the day when we're thinking about getting ready for bed? How easy is it for us to argue that we should stay up and watch one more episode of Netflix, or find ourselves stuck scrolling social media, unable to get off the couch? It's the same thing. Our executive functions are probably at their lowest point of the day. And so that brings us back to this idea of surge capacity. For a lot of people, we've been operating at a higher level than normal as we try to adjust to the long, drawn-out existence of pandemic life. We're dealing with so much more than actually meets the eye. We're not thinking about how many more decisions we're making than we normally would. And we're not thinking about how these decisions tend to be much higher stakes. Because what do you think is going to drain more executive functions? Deciding on which tie you're going to wear today, or the decision of how to send your kids to school during a pandemic? While we absolutely know which of these decisions takes more out of us, we're also trying to go on with the rest of our life like we're not making these huge decisions every day. And that's the problem that we're at now. Many of us have been dipping into our surge capacity since March and April. We settled into routines that involve us living on this borrowed energy, and I know a lot of people are finding that they're getting burnt out of living at home. And a lot of this is because we're not giving ourselves time to recharge our executive functions, and we're not giving ourselves the slack in our schedules that we need so that we can take on these extra challenges. One of the ideas that I've only alluded to so far is that our capacity isn't just limited to our physical energy and time. We've also got our emotional energy and mental energy to think of, and just like my series on energy management last night, it can also deal with our spiritual energy. When we're thinking about being at capacity, it's all about how much energy we've got to deal with with what's going on. So it makes sense that our capacity is going to have to deal with these areas as well. When I'm dealing with heavy emotional issues, it's harder for me to take on more emotional burdens. When I'm trained mentally, I'm not going to be able to think through new problems well. And if I'm not doing things that inspire me, that is going to affect my ability to, to take on anything new, regardless of where it's coming from. So a big part of making sure that we're not running over capacity is also making sure that we're filling up our energy tanks. I'm not going to go over energy management again right now, but feel free to go check out those episodes. There'll be links to them in the show notes at hackingyouradhd.com slash building slack. All right. So even taking time to make sure our energy levels are high, we also want to work on building slack into our systems. 
and one of the places we're going to want to look at first is building Slack into our calendars. Time blindness can make this even harder, as we often don't know how long something is going to take, or in many cases, think we know, but are off by a factor of three or four. While we could work on our time blindness by timing ourselves, we are also going to find plenty of tasks that are harder to predict. One of my big projects is to organize my garage, and I've been spending a lot of time doing it, but it's hard to define an end of organizing, which, of course, as I write this tells me, again, that I need to do a better job of defining that task. But regardless, at the same time, no amount of time prediction is going to accurately tell me how much time I'm going to need to finish that project. There are going to be a ton of setbacks that I'll never be able to predict. Like last year when I was moving a medicine ball too quickly and smashed my thumb. It wasn't a terrible injury, but it did make trying to move things around in my garage almost impossible, and so I had to take a break from the project. And that's time I would have never predicted to put in. So when we're trying to plan out things in our calendar, we want to be cognizant of the fact that things are going to take longer than we think they are. A great example of this is Hofstetter's Law, which states, Everything takes longer than you expect, even when you take into account Hofstetter's Law which is basically time blindness in a nutshell. Even when you account for it, it's still going to be a factor. And so we can combat this by building slack into our schedules. And we do this by adding white space. And that is time that we aren't scheduling anything. And it doesn't count if you just have white space on your calendar because you weren't writing things down. For example, I usually don't put down the time I'm spending with my kids on the calendar. But that isn't white space either. That time is kind of spoken for. So if looking at your calendar, you find that you have event after event with little to no white space in between them, that might mean you need to pull back a bit. If we're simply going at face value of our time, thinking that we want to be at 60 to 80% capacity, that means that we're going to want to have about 20 to 40% of our calendar end up as white space. That's the slack in our calendars. For me, having all that unallocated time can be pretty scary. Because what do you mean we're just not scheduling 20 to 40% of our time? Are we just supposed to be doing nothing? Well, let's jump back to our firefighter example. When firefighters aren't fighting fires, but are on the clock, are they doing nothing? No, they're preparing for their next call, they're doing training, or they're doing maintenance at the firehouse. The thing about having slack in our systems is that the slack wants to be used. We will always fill our time with something. Sometimes that something will be productive, and sometimes it won't. But we do need that slack built into the system, or our system will break down. And Slack just isn't surplus. It's a surplus that can feed other things. And in a way, it's only visible when you need it, but don't have it. Because when we're over capacity, that's when we notice that we needed more Slack in our system. And so that's why we want to build it in ahead of time, so that we don't have to find ourselves having to drop things just because we're no longer able to handle them. And determining the Slack in our system, we can also ask ourselves questions like, how well would I be able to cope with a new project being added onto my plate? or Would you have to give something up to be able to take on more? Remember, this is about making time you are spending more enjoyable. Sure, we could fill up everything, but it's going to be exhausting. And on top of that, I also want us to think about how much time are we adding on to the calendar for ourselves? Do you have anything specifically scheduled just for you? As we continue to find ourselves forced to use more and more of our surge capacity, we've got to think more about how we are allowing ourselves to recharge. And if we're finding that the only time we're giving ourselves is conditional that nothing else has come up, then we need to be specifically scheduling things for ourselves. And this doesn't mean filling up the white space. You still need this white space even when you're scheduling time for yourself.
Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go, though, let's do a rundown of today's top tips. One, always doing more isn't always our best option. It's easy for us to overreach our capacity and find ourselves doing more than we're able to handle. Once we get past capacity, we're more likely to drop the ball on everything we're doing. Giving ourselves breathing room isn't being lazy. It's a way for us to focus on what's most important. Two, when we're in times of crisis, many people with ADHD can thrive by using their surge capacity. However, our surge capacity relies on hyperfocus and is limited. We can only access it for so long before we start to burn out. Three, we can add more capacity to our schedules by adding more slack to our calendars. That is, buffer time that allows us to pick up the slack when we're running overtime on something unexpected or just need more time to finish something than we thought we would. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hacking Your ADHD. If you've got questions for me, I've also got a new system set up to take them. Just head over to HackingYourADHD.com contact and click the orange button. It'll let you record your question, and if I can, I'll answer it on the show. If you want to support the show, be sure to leave a review on your podcast player or share this episode. You can also check out my Patreon at Patreon.com slash HackingYourADHD. If you're this far into the end of the show, you might also be interested in the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For in-depth interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers. If you're a parent with ADHD or have a child with ADHD, definitely check out Brendan Mahancho, ADHD Essentials. I also do a live Q&A with Eric and Brendan every second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to register for the next one, just go to ADHDRewired.com events. And now, for your moment of dad. Man, I hate it when people call me lazy at work. I mean, it's not like I did anything. Thank you.